Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and you can reach us at nasca.org. My name is Kim Lakin, and I'm your host this evening, and my beautiful co-host this evening is Penelope, and we're Thank excited you, to welcome and <laughs> welcome. Glad you're here. Um, we are on scan number 3276 this evening. And I'm excited to introduce you to our special guest, who's special to me as well, personally. But um, first of all, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone who's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention and recovery. And again, we are on stand number 3276 this evening. And we would love for you to be a part of our panel and join in with our discussion with our special guests this evening. And you can call 646-595-2118. And Penelope will meet you on the back line and um, then bring you into the studio and you can ask your questions. You can also ask access any of our shows um, by going to nasca.org and searching for the scan number, like what I just remembered, 3276 this evening, and um, click on that scan number and you can listen to that show. So it goes back 20 years or something. And this show will be ready um, and up on the scan, uh, blog talk scan on, and on NASCA's website in about half an hour after we finish our show tonight. So, this evening, I am so excited to introduce you to a friend, a long-time friend of mine, 
and um, we just connected for a while, and then we reconnected. So her name is Sherry Wilson. She is from Portland, Oregon. She is a childhood sexual abuse survivor, a child advocate who is writing her first memoir, The Truth About Sissy, and that is a book about the tragic life and death of her beautiful foster sister, Vicki, who was abused, trafficked, and ultimately died at 19 years old. Vicki's mother, Sandy, and Sherry's great uncle, Jim, were responsible for all of it. Jim was a man that Sherry had adored until she recently found the horrible truth out about him while researching an old family rumor. Sherry's own abuse began at the hands of her mother's brother, Tom, before she turned four years old. So I am just honored that she has agreed to come on with us this evening. And I'm going to go ahead and bring you on now, Sherry. Welcome to Block Talk. Welcome, welcome to me. Thank you so much. Thank you to you and Penelope. I appreciate it. And of course, yeah, we're so glad you're here. Yes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, I forgot to mention that you are a past NASCA member as well and, uh, and the current one because you're always a part of the family. So we're glad that you're willing to come back on and share your story and, you know, share us the exciting book that you're writing. And I am just going to um, kind of hand it over to you. I may try and pipe in at one point um, if you're, you know, just going Going, 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 because we like to have a little bit of time to talk to the, the panel, and we do have Penelope with us, and then Philip is with us tonight, too, so I'm excited that he called in. Um, and so they may have questions. So it probably at least by the half an hour mark, the first half an hour, um, we'll take a break. And um, so I want you to, to start as young as you want to start, wherever you want to start your story, and then just kind okay. of work chronologically through a little bit, and then, um, yeah, you can ask me questions or anything, but I'm going to just kind of leave it to you, you know, if you want to include me in it, I'd be happy to, to pipe in. Well, but always include you in it. Um, yep. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, first, I want to apologize to anyone that's listening um, for my sound quality. We had some tech issues uh, trying to get me to get to, on here, and also, I have a, a relentless cough that uh, might come out, so I'm sorry. Um, my name is Sherry, and uh, Tim and I have been friends since we were four years old. And, um, you know, before I met Kim, I, you know, my parents lived in, Calif in Southern California, and I was, um, and I didn't know she was my foster sister until after she died when I was six years old. And um, my parents split right before. Before I turned four, and that's how I met Kim because my mom moved to Colorado, and um, I didn't see Vicky uh, after we had left there. And between that time and, and her death, but she had called all the time and written letters and sent pictures and, and stuff like that. And and the, you know, I had been told my entire life that she, you know, up until the point of six, that she was my sister. Um, I lived across the street from Kim when. Uh, I lived in a corner house across the street from Kim when my sister died and we got the letter and she had been in a horrible accident. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit because that's kind of part of what brought on this whole little journey. But, um, 
But prior to that, prior to finding out that she had died and prior to living in that corner house, I lived in the house next door to it that was my aunt and uncle's house. And um, it is that is actually the house I lived in first when I met Kim. And that was a house that brought trauma to both of us, um, to Kim and I, you know, um, by my family. And um, so it's amazing all these years later we can, you know, are still friends and she's not blaming me. But um uh, it was it was really kind of a crazy experience. Obviously, I didn't understand what was happening um, when I was that young because it started when I was about three and a half or so, and um, and that wasn't the only um, abuser at that time. I have no knowledge of being abused prior to that when we were in California with my parents together, um, but uh, as soon as I got to Colorado, it started. So there were multiple offenders in and out of the family for years and years, including um, at times my mother's boyfriends, um, other uncles, um, you know, and as far as sexual abuse. And then, you know, I had other physical abuses and, and neglect as well at times um, from stepfathers or uh, stepparents in general. Um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, everybody's pretty much gone now and um, it's, it's odd to, to look back and, and talk about these things and, and piece them together in the context of this book I'm writing. And so what happened that came to be with the book is basically I was um, doing, it started because I was doing some research just to put together like some genealogy and like family history biography for my own children, my adult children and their kids and my siblings. And, um, but I started looking into um, one of my husband's relatives. There was a sensational rumor about him, and it all panned out, and that'll be the next book. But um, anyways, I had subscribed to newspaper.com or newspapers.com, and because I kept running into these articles that were about his uncle, but I couldn't read them. I kept hitting paywalls. And so I finally, you know, did it like a six-month subscription, and a couple of days later, I had this rumor that my stepmother had told me, you know, a few days before and uh, about my father's uncle, Jim, who was my great uncle that Kim was talking about and saying something because I, I was asking, you know, as I'm putting my family history, let me backtrack. I'm sorry. As I'm putting my family history together, um, the question of Vicky came back, you know, comes up in my mind again, like, how do I put her in here? How, you know, what is the connection here? I, I adored this girl. She's been in my mind every day for the last 49 years since she died. So it was like, well, where does she fit into this? Because after she died, when I was told that she wasn't my real sister and was my foster sister, I was told that she was my biological cousin, which also turned out not to be true. But anyways, back to this family rumor about good old Uncle Jim, my stepmother had said when I asked, are you, are you sure you don't know why my parents ever became Vicky's foster parents to begin with? What was the incident that had the children taken away? And she's like, I really don't know. She, she was married to my dad afterwards. And she's like, I really don't know. But Jim was into a lot of things. And there was this rumor that, you know, him and his his wife, who we thought was his wife, but that's also not true, um, uh, had murdered somebody in Las Vegas. And that just sounded really preposterous to me because uh, this uncle had saved my life when I was about four months old from a pool. Uh, I was raised 
when I would go to California, you know, once a year if I was lucky. I'd see him maybe once or twice while I was there and was kind of raised like he was my hero. He saved my life. And he was always very interactive with me, very nice. I don't particularly remember any inappropriateness. Uh, And there was only one time I felt that I had ever actually gotten mad uh, at him, which I'll explain a little later too, but which had nothing to do with uh, any kind of – sexual abuse of me or or physical abuse, but he kind of messed with my mind for a minute. But what happened was, is I grew up really just loving this uncle. Um, He was fun. He was kind of a character. He, uh, he was kind of, he was a snazzy dresser and, you know, I don't know, in my mind, in my, my kid mind, he was just different than my other uncles who were all abusing me, I guess. But um, anyways, I, uh, I looked up on that newspaper.com. I put good old Uncle Jim's name in there. And I had just learned also a few days before what his full name was. I didn't know his name was David James. I just knew him as Uncle Jim and his last name. So I put in his full name, and right away the second thing came up, um, said, the headline said, um, truck overturns, killing passenger. And I immediately knew that that was going to be about Vicky. Well, the thing is, is that Vicky died 49 years ago this past July, and um, I've been asking about her my whole life to everybody in my family and my mom, and to get answers, what was she like? I didn't know if she was buried or cremated. I didn't know anything. I was told when she died that she had, that her and her boyfriend were on their way from California to Colorado, where we lived to come visit us and stay with us um, for the summer. And um, that her that her boyfriend had been drunk driving, and that's what had, had happened. So that's what I thought my whole life. Nobody gave me any other info, not even as an adult. And even a year, in, 2000, in 2006, Uncle Jim died. And I saw him a year before his death in the nursing home. And I even was asking him then, and he still, you know, just would not tell me anything about Vicky. Well, this newspaper article that popped up, and this is really, I just found all this out just uh, like maybe three months ago. Um, I, uh, not only was I seeing my, my sister's real last name for the first time in my life, which was a game changer in finding out about her, um, and the article said that her boyfriend or, or a boy her age was also in the truck, but it was Uncle Jim that was driving. And then that, that same article talked about the horrificness of the accident. Um, He had made a turn into the medium. He made a left turn into the medium on the highway between California and Las Vegas. And he jumped it into whatever kind of traffic was. It was 620 in the morning uh, into the opposing lanes. And then off of that where they rolled end over end multiple times. And my sister was ejected from the truck 102 feet. She died within three hours after being life flighted twice. And um, so I, I got to see her last name and all these horrific details that I didn't know about. The fact that my Uncle Jim was even in the vehicle, let alone driving, was big news to me. And then that same article also confirmed the Las Vegas murder because the big boy that was with her had driven from California to Las Vegas uh, to where the Clark County Jail, he, he was in the Clark County Jail out there. Um, to pick him up, to bring him back to California. My assumption is, is that my grandmother, which was Uncle Jim's sister, is the one that convinced Vicky to go pick him up. 
And so after she picked him up, he took the wheel, and they were on their way back to California. And about two hours into that drive um, is when the accident happened. So I had some info from that about the murder, and I delved deeper, and I found more articles, not just about the very real murder that happened in Vegas, but a whole bunch of other crimes. The murder itself, him and his, not really his wife, Sandy, uh, which is Vicky's biological mother, or was, and um, they were, they had a drugging and luring scheme. They would lure men or women. Uh, I'm assuming the promise was, you know, partying or sex or whatever. They would lure them back to the victim's hotel room or home and then drug them and rob them. But this one particular time, they gave the person too much drugs and they died. And so they were arrested for murder. But they they pled out at manslaughter. Uh, Sandy had only gotten three years and Jim only got a year, but he was out six months later and that's how Vicky had come to pick him up and and her getting killed uh, you know a few hours later so that is what started me in this process and I kind of shelved everything else I was doing and researching because now I like had answers to my 49 year old mystery and so I just started digging in from there and found out all sorts of things about um or the sexual abuses that she had suffered, the trafficking that she had suffered. And uh, not only that, but I also found some of her siblings. Now, I knew one of her siblings, a younger sister, um, who does has not wanted to be a part of any of the story or anything. Um, but I have spoken prolifically with uh, and extensively with three of her older siblings. And I have found her grave, which is in Michigan. Her body was taken from California to Michigan and um, Jenner flowers and everything. And so I think that's probably a good point where if um, Kim, you want to ask any specific questions or Penelope before I start into the abuses that I found. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Sherry. I need to take a drink. My mouth is dry. (laughs) Yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead and do that. No, thank you for um, for being on and being so open and honest. I mean, I can't imagine that feeling of, you know, finding out all this stuff as you're in, you know, later in your later years and, and not knowing, just not knowing for so long about your sister. And so I'm glad that you found yeah. it out, but it also makes me sad that it, that it was, you know, so tragic and, and everything. So. Yeah, well, I'm definitely glad to know the truth about how she died, why she died, and as well as all the information. I mean, I, I now know, obviously, I know more about my sister Vicky than, I, than I've ever known. And, um, and even though, you know, I have found out she wasn't my real sister or even my cousin, in my heart, in my mind, in my memory, she's, she's my sister. And that's, you know, I always called her sissy. sissy. Hence the title of the book, The Truth About Sissy. But um, anyways, yeah, it's it's been, you know, crazy. I, I never in a million years thought I was ever going to find an answer because everybody's passed away now, you know. And um, so I pretty much had given up hope of ever knowing anything more. And it's all horrible stuff, but I'm glad I know now. The siblings of hers that I've been working with, that um, this news, the Detroit News picked up the story, I'll explain why in a sec, but um, 
they picked up the story and uh, had had spoken to the siblings, and the siblings were um, not only were they happy that I had reached out to them and 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 am writing this book, but they were also, you know, telling me not just about Vicky, but also their own experiences with Jim and Sandy, the parents, and um, you know, and how ingrained uh, two of them actually were um, in my family besides Vicky. Um, they had lived with my grandparents. They had also lived with my mom and dad um, prior to my birth. Um, I, I just didn't know them. Um, but it's it's just kind of a big old story of everything, and it's it's really hard to know where to start because I can tell you this. I've covered, as a journalist, I have covered, uh, and you know this, Kim, I've covered everything from, you know, uh, child abuse awareness stuff to the podcast we used to do together to, um, you know, hardcore news and it's writing this way is, is way different. <laughs> I'm used to keeping things, you know, as far as writing, I, I'm not that, that good about doing it when I'm talking, but um, more succinct <laughs> and, you know, to the point, to the facts and stuff where here, you know, I, I have to tell the story and there's so many components and I, I, I have never worked on any story that has so many moving parts to it. Um, because were these things that happened and the crimes of Jim and Sandy and the abuses of the kids happened in like six, seven different states. Mm-hmm. Every time they would get busted in one state, they would boogie on out of town and go to another state and, and just kind of keep making this loop between a bunch of states. And so they left a, a quite a trail of of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm happy to talk about, uh, you know, as far as the book itself and everything in the book, um, you know, there's some things I'm probably going to hold back simply because nobody's going to want to read it if I tell you everything. But um, I, there's still plenty to tell, and uh, I'm just not quite sure where to start, to be honest, because there's a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a very complex. Yeah. It's a very complex situation, and it has really taken a lot to wrap my mind around it. Well, you know, here's a good place, real quick. The Detroit News picking up the story of me writing this book seems kind of weird because the book's not even written yet. And it's been kind of a whirlwind the last few weeks. But yesterday I was on the front page of their online version of their paper uh, at the top, and then today in their print version, again at the top of the front page, because I'm writing this book. The reason that they were interested, they were seeing my social media posts, and I was asking about a particular area in Detroit, Michigan, that uh, was known as the Cash Corridor, and um, is kind of an infamous place, and um, a lot went on there. And it seemed with my sister and, and the siblings, I call I, I I call her siblings just you know jointly the siblings, <laughs> or I'll say the kids. That's I'm always referring to her siblings. Um, it was the the one place really that I could find in helping them track down where they were when. And these siblings are in their 70s. So um, this is the one locale, per se, that they were kind of almost all of the kids, the known kids, were, were in. So it was somewhere that I could focus because they were there for several years and just a whole lot happened there. And so the the veteran, he's been there for nearly 30 years. His name is George Hunter. He's the veteran crime reporter for Detroit News, which is the major paper in Michigan. And he contacted me and said, I'm really interested in the story. He's kind of a, not just a cast corridor buff, but he's a cast corridor kind of expert. It's really a, he grew up in the cast corridor and, you know, his, his, his mother lived there for a long time before that as well. So, um, 
So that's why there was interest in a book that hasn't been written yet. And it just was surprising how, like, to be on the front page and everything, it's a little intimidating, (laughs) but obviously wonderful. But that's why the newspaper got involved and those stories have come out. Go ahead, Kim. (laughs) No, that's fine. No, I was just thinking that, yeah, they don't really know where it's all going to go either. But I I almost want to think that maybe there has been something else that has maybe spiked their attention even before this, and so that's why this is spiking like, their attention. You know what I mean? So it will be interesting oh, you to know kind of how that is. But no, I think the newspaper genuinely was about the – because, you know, it is the Detroit News, and I'm talking about basically the – the the skid row of Detroit of the at the time and um and you know him growing up there he just had a personal interest in it and then when he talked to me when I agreed to talk to him you know he was just interested in the story because like I said it's extremely complex um you know it, it's a long write up feature article that he did but um you know he's like I I had told him when I first started I didn't think I had enough words for a book. And then I found out all this stuff and met the siblings and all of this, and now I know I have enough words for a book. Um, but, you know, George was very kind. They were very kind to me. They they um, had a freelance photographer come out and do um, a photo shoot with me, and it was just all really weird. Yeah, I mean, totally unexpected and kind of blew, you know, my family's mind a little bit, and it's like, wow, I mean, you haven't even written the book yet, and it's all sudden. I'm like, yeah, but after this, it's all going to die off. And then you invite me on the podcast. <laughs> Well, no, no, and actually, we'd we'd love to have you back when it comes out too. So you know, you let us know if you want to do that too. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I know it has to be just a lot of just a lot to take on. You know, learning all of this stuff. Not only have you learned about sexual abuse, and I know that you'll get into more of that, and um, and who was you know, who that was with and everything, but um, but then to learn about your sister. So that has to be, I mean, it's good. Yeah, like you said, it's good, and it's also kind of hard to think back. But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, thanks for sharing yeah, that. I don't know what else to say. So I'm going to let Penelope get. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I'm going to let Penelope come on and see if she has a question. But thank you. <laughs> thanks for sharing. Oh, well, thank you, Kim. And, you know, Sherry, First of all, you're really articulate. I'm sure you know that, but um, you tell your story um, very articulately and, and um, you're very easy to follow, understand. And so, you know, I um, I just wanted to mention that. And, because I think these things can, you know, we can sometimes confuse ourselves. I know I tend to dissociate myself a little bit when I'm talking about my own story, but you are, um, you have, you know, you're very um, focused. Um, in in your delivery, and I just wanted to to first of all mention that. But okay. second of all, what really was profound to me, and especially in the very beginning, is um, you introduced how you knew Kim Lakin, um, yes. and when you met Kim, and where you both were in your lives as little girls who were both being abused. Um, and I we know Kim's story, and Kim's been very up. Um, uh, vocal about her story, and I know, so I know I'm not uh, dis- disclosing any details that she wouldn't want me to. But 
you know, part of NASCA, as you know, is, is about recovery and hope and healing. And so here I am on the other line, you know, listening to this story with Kim in a different context and you in, a, in, in your own context of telling it and relating when you met, you know, and going back to these two little girls. Um, and now fast forward to, you know, September 25th, 2023, and here you are on this show, um, in a completely different place in your life, you know. Um, yeah. You know, showing up as, as two people who have um, totally transformed their lives and are doing something purposeful. You know, Kim's been authored. You're, you're becoming authored. So for me, like, listening as a, you know, NASCA member and as an adult survivor of child abuse, I just have to tell you that, you know, for the two of you to come together, especially given the – logistical closeness, that's hope, right? If we can know that there's so much work being done that, you know, one day we may be on a show with our neighbor, you know, this is very close to home. To me, that indicates progress. So I just wanted to say, first and foremost, like I, you know, listening in, that is, that was very, it's very inspiring. Just just where you are um, and the connection. Um, and of course, you know, I, I commend you, I commend you because I think that's what we want to do. We want to put our story out there and we want our stories, these, these people that we're writing about, and it's not yourself, it's, although you're in it, it's about your sister, um, just, you know, Vicki, who I think that's a trauma, by the way, within itself to think that someone's your sister and you learn that they're not. Yeah, that was really um, I mean, how, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that in of itself, you know, is is a very you know profound trauma for a child, and then you add everything else on top of it. But um, but the fact that you know you have um, you know broken the silence, and you went on social media, and you started you know you know posting things and asking questions, and look, at, I mean, now you've gotten on you know the headlines of you know both online and in print of the Detroit News. So I think you know that's everything that you've shared so far, even though it's a these are horrific and heinous crimes. And I wish we didn't have to tell these stories and hear these stories. Um, just by doing what you're doing and, and, and breaking the silence, I mean, already so far, and we're, we're just a little over 30 minutes in, but, um, you know, you're, you, you've moved the cause, you know, and, and the awareness of the cause to the forefront um, in such a profound way. So I just, I just wanted to, you know, give you that, those thoughts that I was having and, and just thank you for what, everything that you're doing. Oh, I appreciate that. I do. I, you know, I've I've been, you know, I'm I'm only recently writing a book, but I've been doing this as far as bringing awareness, writing articles, podcasting, for a very long time. I have taken a break uh, the last several years because of my health, and um, so I, you know, I've, I I I get really bored, and so I was like, I'm just gonna do the genealogy thing for my family, you know. <laughs> Uh, and so, um, you know, it just kind of put me off on this, you know, road to finding all this out about Vicky, um, which, you know, kind of was just, like I said, a real game changer all the way around. And I am very focused. Um, and real quick, to, to talk about what you're saying, I'm really proud of the siblings, Penelope, because the siblings in their 70s have come forward and spoken publicly for the first time to this reporter at my behest. And they um, 
they made sure that he did a three-way call because they wanted me on the phone because they were nervous. And, um, you know, they've completely embraced me. And um, in, in, in a bit, I'd like to talk a little bit about how, when I contacted them and how that um, came to be. I think I might sneeze. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but to get back to me and Kim meeting, um, you know, Kim and I have done some work together as adults on this on this topic, and we did some good work. And I'm proud of the work that, that we did together. And I'm not even sure that Kim had podcasted before um, I had brought her on to my podcast. Um, I'm not I don't, I'm not sure, but um, you know, she, she does a great job, and I'm I'm really proud of her, and I'm proud of all the speaking out she's done in the book and and everything. Um, she just really amazes me. When we were kids, when I met her, you know, I had just left Vicky in California and I was missing my sister. Now Vicky is was thirteen years older than me. So when we first got her she was thirteen. And so and and I was I was an infant, you know, I, I was about one. And um so it was uh it, it was it was strange. When I when I got there I was lonely and I was immediately going through trauma and I met Kim and I think Kim actually Kim's mom and my aunt uh is how uh, the family relationship uh, all of all of us knowing each other started. I had a, a cousin a year or so older than me that I think Kim was actually had met before me, um, uh, not long before me, but before me. Uh, but uh, the proximity of li- living so close together and, in, in, you know, on the street and even when she moved down the street. And then I moved back to the neighborhood. You know, we're moving all the time on my end and, we you know, we would keep coming back to this town. But Kim's abuse as I learned it as an adult, um, was another trauma for me. Um, and it, although it was her abuse, it was a trauma for me because, you know, it was my my family, my, my cousins, you know, and that had harmed her. And so I felt a huge um, responsibility, even though I, it wasn't my fault. In my mind, initially, it was like, well, it's my fault because you were over there to see me, you know. <laughs> Um, you were spending the night with me, you know, and um, and stuff like that. But at the time of what it was happening, I still wasn't understanding what was happening either. And there was a lot of other stuff that was happening to me outside of what Kim even knew at the time uh, with the uncle and the other uncles and, and stuff like that. So, you know, here we are, two little girls, and we have these traumas happening to each other. And we're, we're unable, as close as we were as children, to talk about it to each other. Um, so when we reconnected as adults, which is a really funny story in itself, how I found Kim, um, I used the six degrees of separation idea and made a blog post and, and eventually uh, found her. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it had been, you know, I don't know how long, decades since we had spoken or seen each other. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, trauma is trauma and I and I feel like I feel like there's a there's I, I know we all know there's a lot more abuse going on there that is never spoken about no charges ever brought all those all those cases it's it's the rarer thing for people speaking out and so you know I, I'm just proud of all of you and everybody listening that that cares about this topic because as Kim knows, and what I used to call my podcast when we would talk about this is sickness of silence, and because it genuinely is a sickness of silence, and you know what? Damn it, childhood hurts. 
you know, and that trauma lasts us a lifetime. I feel like a lot of us with with health and body issues, not just the emotion and mental things, I feel like a lot of our physical health issues that we have is also part of all that trauma. And, you know, a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of talk about, you know, emotional health uh, with regards to trauma, but the physical health is no joke. It's real. And, um, you know, I went through some very traumatic things just a few years back that have dramatically changed my own health. And so, you know, all this stuff is connected. I'm, I'm so glad that Kim and I continue to reconnect. <laughs> um, you know, she is my, my oldest friend and she, she is my sis, you know, um, in many ways. So love her to death, love her to pieces. I'm very glad to be here. You too. Thank you, Sherry. I love you too. And yeah, I mean, of course, I don't want you to ever feel bad about anything that happened because of course we didn't know anything that was going on at the time. And, um, you know, it has been healing for me too, to, to talk to you about it at times. And, you know, we said, oh, this is, you know, this is what you remember about that time. This is what I remember. And yes. it kind of brings our memories a Comparing. little bit, you know, in time. But yeah, it's fun. it's kind of fun to do that as well, even though it, 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 is. it is, you common. know, and, it makes us, you know why, you know why that is? And I think this is important. This is an important point, actually. When you have, we are lucky enough, if you want to call any of this lucky, right? You and I are lucky enough that we can bear witness because we were there together. We can bear witness on each other's lives, even if we weren't aware of the, some of the traumas as they were happening. Because we were definitely aware of other types of abuses and neglects that were happening but as far as the sexual abuse we that is what we were the most unaware of as little children but we can still bear witness to what our lives were yeah yeah a lot of people don't have that you know and and one of the things that i write in my book is about memory and remembering somebody you know we all want to be remembered but it takes at least two people for one to be remembered and i always think of you as that person Oh. You're, you're my plus one. You're my two. <laughs> oh, I love you, sweetie. Thank you. No, I just I feel very, very lucky to be able to to call you my friend and to be on here with you tonight. We do have um, Philip on the line too. Would you mind if I bring him on and see if he has a question? If you would yeah, like to ask. Yeah, go, go for it. Hello, Kim. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hi, I don't have any questions Welcome. today. No questions? No questions. No. Well, thank you for being on. Yeah, no problem. Hi, Philip. I'll put you back. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Sherry. <laughs> so I, if, if any of you, uh, either you on the panel or any listeners, if you have any questions about my particular abuses or or about my sister in the book and her abuses or the siblings' abuses. I'm happy to answer questions. Like I said, it's so complex. I'm really not quite sure, like, where, what direction to go with with explaining, like, the book. And I'm not sure what what interest you would have in in what particulars of of the abuse. But I'm happy to talk. Yeah. Well, I was, um, one thing I was going to say that I wrote down is that, you were talking about the difference between, um, you know, talking about 
your abuse and then what you did what, when I first met you and when we first started, when you first started teaching me about Blog Talk. Um, uh-huh. And I, I can always relate to that as well in the way that, you know, my classes aren't about me at all. My classes are about educating adults to, you know, watch out for children. And so I can right. really dissociate in that way. And, and even on here, when I'm doing this, when I'm doing blog talk, I can kind of dissociate because it's not about me. But when I tell my story, I feel it all in my body, just like you do. So I just want you to know that I, I understand that, that that's a thing. I mean, and like you said before, our bodies feel it so much yeah. now and from what me, was in the past. I think for me, uh, you know, this particular last couple weeks, how, I mean, really the last few months since we started, but these last particular couple weeks have been a, very much a whirlwind for me. Um, two of the siblings are very ill right now. And again, they're, they're all in their 70s. Um, you know, all of a sudden this newspaper thing comes about and I had a lot happen in a very short period of time. And so um, I have had a very emotional time. But in general, I really try when I'm talking publicly about these things to uh, you know, we can heal, and everybody has their their own ways of healing. And um, and each of our traumas, I don't think there's a a better or worse. I think that um, you know we because we all internalize it our own way. And so it's like it's always hard for me to. I, I'm never sure what somebody wants to hear, um, but I can tell you that I do. I do feel, for the most part, that I have dealt with many of those traumas that we're talking about with regards to child sexual abuse, um, that that I'm okay uh, at this point. I'm 55 years old. I've been talking out or speaking out. I'm sorry. I've been speaking out pretty much since I was about 16 in one way or another. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't have, like, to my knowledge, I don't have any, like, repressed stuff with regards to it. I, I'm very vocal. I, I remember very clearly the things that happened to me. Um, you know, I mean, realistically, when you have somebody that's, that's going to be an abuser, they're going to they're gonna abuse. And I was just unfortunate enough that it seemed everywhere I turned there were abusers. And, like, in the newspaper article, um, the reporter had quote me as saying that, um, well, what I was what I was getting at is that I I always call my abusers monsters. I talk about the monsters you know that I had in my life, and I realized didn't well I didn't realize that you know my sister Vicky had monsters too, and lo and behold it was you know this glorified Uncle Jim, and um and you know her in in my view when I'm saying there's no better or worse abuse really because it's it's on on the individual and how they you know absorb that but in my in my head after learning all this and and learning that this man that I adored was this monster who had access to me when all these other monsters were harming me you know I now realize he was likely grooming me at the very least I was his favorite child and um you know but it's like I feel like I can speak out pretty clearly and and not get too bogged down in getting over emotional sometimes um, especially when I'm, you know, when I kind of cried out like I am right now. Um, I've been in a, in a bit of a daze, so I, I apologize. But um, 
I mean, not here on the show, but I mean, just in general these last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, the abuses that I, that I suffered, you know, I have been beat. I have been nearly trafficked. I have um, been sexually abused in pretty much every way. Um, I, I was just talking about one of my mom's um, boyfriends when I was in fourth grade. He used to, um, I guess he didn't work because my mom would go off to work. He'd still be in bed and immediately be demanding me to come in there. And he used to force me to give him oral sex nearly every day when I was in fourth grade. And, um, you know, it's like uh, the things that my uncles did. You know, the difference between, this is an odd thing, and I don't know how many people talk about this, but the difference between, like, what some of my uncles did and how they approached their abuse with me versus, like, one of my mother's boyfriends or friends, family friends, is that, you know, the, the a couple of the uncles particularly, they approached it with, they were going to, this is how they taught me to love, right? So it was, they weren't, they weren't, uh, it wasn't intercourse with, with them that I remember for sure, but it was, you know, basically everything else, but it was all, no, no, I'm supposed to do this because it's my job to teach you how to love. You know, when you're three and a half years old, you don't know what that is, what that means and stuff. And so the other thing with one, the one particular uncle who had guardianship of me, you know, throughout my childhood until I confronted him at 16, uh, you know, he had those guardianship papers and they were always, you know, kind of lorded over me. And like, I own you, this piece of, piece of paper says, I own you, you know, you're mine. And, um, you know, so it's, it's all kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you, my mom's uncles are family friends, they weren't trying to be gentle or show me love. That was all pure out just being, you know, just flat out. I mean, I'm not saying that uncle wasn't abusing. I'm just saying the approach of how I always kind of compare it like a, uh, you know, a child molester versus uh, an incestuous pedophile abusing you. Because oftentimes, not all times, it is it is different, you know, whereas, you know, some random child molesters likely doesn't care if they hurt you in any way, whereas someone in your family wants you to keep it a secret. They want to continue to have access to you. They want to give you gifts, make you special, all that sort of stuff. So um, it's very different because I have, you know, been abused from all those different angles. Um, But talking about it is the most important thing, you know, because that silence is what keeps happening generation after generation. The very first sibling I talked to of Vicky's was the oldest sibling. And, you know, in the first conversation we had, it was very emotional for him, and, you know, he, he cried. They've all cried with me, and, um, you know, that's what he kept saying. Why does this keep happening in families generation after generation? And I'm like, well, you know, because we're not talking about it. You're in your 70s, and you haven't been able to talk about it until now. And that's the case for many people, if they ever do. And so having shows like this, and, and, and the other ones that are out there, having social media reach for doing something good and for the betterment of humanity, um, and, and your reach just within your community and all of that, not being embarrassed about talking about it, just talk about it. I mean, obviously, you need to have some decorum if there's small children around. Do, do we want them to know? Yes, but it's not our job to teach those small children. That's their parents, so we need to teach our parents, you know, or we're going to get accused, you know, of something with their child. But you know, all this vocalization, 
um, even if it's not audible, even if it's your writing or your posting. And, you know, I mean, you, I always say work smarter, not harder. So be wise about your choices of, of where you can get the most effect. What's best for you as somebody trying to present ideas and help out there is what genuinely, not just because something sounds cool, what's going to fit your life? What's going to fit your family? What's going to make you feel good about what you're doing? What's not going to burden you and bog you down that you can't live your life because you're spending every part of it doing this? You need to be able to continuously heal your mind from these uh, um, advocacy things. And all of that's really important because that, again, goes back to our health. And we don't want to be the ones also re-traumatizing ourselves constantly. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Stop it, Brooke. No, that's good. Well, no, I think it is important to remind people that we need to take care of ourselves because um, yeah, I've talked about it quite a few times here recently because I've been doing so many different types of therapy and I found that, and I don't know if I've shared this with you, I, don't, I can't remember, but um, I started doing equine therapy. And oh, so awesome. I... Yeah, I'm like, this is my therapy. This is what I need to continue doing because it has brought probably more, it's brought up more, but it's also brought more healing, a deeper healing that I haven't been able to get. So I think that it's important that people understand, too, that even if you've been doing therapy for years and years and years and you're getting tired of it, you know, at times it might be that you're just not finding the right thing. And we were talking about it on one of the shows about doing um, how it would be good if they if insurance would take these kind of therapies, not just the normal sitting in the office, because I think yeah. so many more people could could be helped. With well, yeah, that. because everybody, but I also, everybody digests things differently, Kim. You know, I mean, if if ten of us went to a restaurant for breakfast. Some of that 10 won't even order breakfast, and the rest of them are going to order their eggs different ways because we all digest things and process things differently. And so when it comes to these different therapies, I was recently talking to to someone else just in a phone call, and I was saying that, uh, you know, first and foremost, I think one of the strengths that I have is I think that I think I'm good with people that have gone through these abuses and helping them, but I don't want to be a therapist. Um, uh, you know what I, you know what I mean? I, because I, I don't want that to be my life because I don't want to be taking on trauma every day. I, I simply can't do that anymore with my health. But, and, and like I said, I, you know me, Kim, I can take on way too much sometimes and cause I want to do it all. And, um, but I have found that I, I've been able to help a lot of people, um, not just in the case with this book and the siblings and stuff, but over the years along the way and help them become vocal, help them to heal. One of the things that I heard a lot uh, in my advocacy with others and and trying to help other um, victims, survivors, uh, you know, some of them still feel like they're victims, still not a survivor yet, Um, but it is about therapy and healing. And one of the things, you, you, you know, I believe in God. I consider myself a Christian, but I have met countless numbers of people who have been through traumas who one of the problems that they have is people tell them that they have to forgive their abusers. And um, and I think that for me, I don't necessarily feel that somebody has to forgive their abuser. I think they need to forgive themselves for whatever they feel shame that they've taken on. And 
that, you know, I, I don't know, really know how to say it, but I think that that is a stumbling block for many because I've run into many people. You know, there are people that simply don't want to be um, religious about anything. And so, uh, for lack of a better word, so they'll shy away from anything like that. Some people look to relationships, their partners. Some people go to counseling and therapy. Some people go to church. Some people, you know, again, it goes back to those eggs and, and how we digest and process things. And so I like to let everybody know um, when I'm talking with people is that um, there's, there's healing and, and answers for you in a lot of different avenues as long as they're not harming you, you know. And so um, just the acceptance of what has happened to us, it doesn't mean that it's okay, but it's like, okay, these are the things that have happened to us. How, how do I move forward from here? What is genuinely going to help me? And some people it takes, you know, that do try to find help somewhere outside themselves, it takes them trying multiple different things. Some people find the right thing right away, but what's right for, you know, Penelope might not be right for me and might not be right for you. And I, I really, really try hard not to lose sight of that when I'm talking to people. And um, I'm open to, and I think also because I'm, I'm open to just speaking openly, you know, without bearing any shame in, in, in my speech or my body language about it. Um, but, you know, there's something that has kind of cropped up for me with regards to childhood traumas. And um, I know that uh, there were times in my life where I was a great mother. And there were some times in my life where I wasn't a great mother. And I thought I was doing all the things right. I thought I was, you know, at one point, you know, being involved in activism. I thought I was saving the world for my children. I, You know, we, we go and do these things and we fill our lives with these things. And, you know, my kids did experience trauma. I, I wasn't sexually abusing them. I wasn't, um, you know, uh, I mean, I did spank my kids. Uh, I'm 55 years old. I was raised that way. I wouldn't do it now. Um, and I'm glad that my children don't spank their kids, my grandkids. But I didn't really know any better when I was young and having kids. And But even aside from the spanking stuff, just the fact that I was always out trying to save the world. I was always out trying to save this person. And I wasn't trying to save myself for my 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 family, my first and foremost, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it oh, definitely, it definitely hurt my relationships with my kids in different ways at different times. And um, I don't think I've ever figured out the right way to even say I'm sorry, you know. Um, I mean, I never meant to cause them traumas and stuff. And, and just like all of us, sometimes those traumas come at you unexpectedly. And so when, for me as a mom, if they come at me, if they're at them unexpectedly and then they're at me, well, it's unexpected for me. Where is it coming from, right? But, you know, I, I have to look at myself and stuff. And so I think that, you know, just all this trauma, I try to I try to not put it, you know, on these hierarchies because it just all hurts, you know, and it causes problems. But, you know, with these, these siblings, you know, you guys, these siblings have been amazing. With all we've done and all we still have to do, particularly me with the writing and all that, but um, – they have been so forthcoming. When I when I found them online, which was a big process to find them, um, there's different last names and you know all this stuff, and um, you know I had to pay for this, pay for that to go to find them finally. And 
I had a bit of imposter syndrome. Now, Kim will tell you, I am I don't get nervous in general. I do a lot more now in my older age, but in general, I'm kind of a firecracker. And I don't, you know, I, I've been writing articles for decades, and so I don't, I don't, I'm not typically afraid to call somebody randomly. But this was different. This was personal. And um, how do you call somebody up and say, "Hey, um, I'm your dead sister's kind of sister from, you know, almost 50 years ago." <laughs> You know, and and so and just out of the blue, you know. So it was. I I had imposter syndrome. I was scared to death, scared to death to call him. I got voicemails. Then I started getting the calls back, and then we started talking. And even in that article, they think they they said it's like therapy. It's the first time that they've talked about this openly. You know that it's it's a relief to them. It's a burden off their shoulders. And uh, who knew? You know, I mean, who knew something? Just my own curiosity about somebody that I loved deeply so long ago got me to this, and it's helping these people heal, you know, in their in their golden years, their final years, you know, finally. So I think there's a lot of ways to help. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I was going to say um, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be healing for them as well, especially I think as we get older, you know, we a lot of times we do want to know more. We want to dig a little deeper and like I say I wish I would have you know asked the people that are gone now more questions and um yeah and so yeah um I think also and go ahead and tell yeah go ahead I was just going to say say? I think that also when people are in their older years or have health problems not only are they in their older years but they uh, have health a lot of health problems, and um, in fact, uh, Linda, that's mentioned in the article, um, she just got out of the hospital today. Um, it's her second time in the hospital in just the last couple weeks, and um, one of one of the kids has recently been diagnosed with cancer, um, and then uh, Glenn, who's also in the article, um, he's lost a leg and half a foot um, due to diabetes, and still has other health problems, and so. You know, there's all these things going on, but I think when we're in our later years or, or we feel like our our ending is coming near, all the trauma that we have, if we haven't let it out, if we haven't spoken out, if we haven't gotten help, if we haven't had any kind of real healing in any way, I think that we start feeling dirtier because we're thinking about our, our last day. We're thinking about the end. And I think that's when a lot of times people really, sometimes it's the first time they really think about religion, but then they feel dirty. And they don't know how to cross that that invisible barrier of you're not dirty, it's not your fault. When it's your time to go, do it gracefully and know that you are clean. You are you are a survivor. You survived this. You're not the victim anymore, you know. And so sometimes it doesn't come for somebody until the end, you know. And that's, that's hard. You know, it's been uh, like I'm going to cry right now. Um, that's been one of the hardest things for me doing this with the book is, you know, I don't want to lose these siblings. Yeah, I'll bet you've grown attached to them. And I think, sure. I'll, oh, I want to, yeah, I why I'm thinking about it. Is, look, I, mean, I want to genuinely. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, sure. No. Um, well, no, first I, I just want to say, of course, you need to send them to Maskus, you know, .org and um, let them listen to this because I'm sure they'd love to hear 
the wonderful things that you're saying about them. And I, I don't it. know if you realize this, but yeah, we're down to 30 minutes uh, in the show. So I want to be able for you to get out whatever you wanted to talk about. If, you know, if we got a little sidetracked, if not, then we can just keep chatting the way we're chatting. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to, you know, reset if you wanted to back to when you had were, were younger because you kind of didn't. That's kind of where you stopped, I think, with the story. You are you were just moving I'm to sorry. Colorado and you met me. Yeah. So if you want. Yeah. To, that's what you want. Yeah. It's up to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, you know, it's just the simple fact of men that had access to me, you know, and um, one of the things that was really interesting is, so, you know, with this one particular uncle, um, you know, that, that Kim had to deal with all the time with the, the cousins and stuff, he, you know, he he was a, a one of those, you know, um, you know, the old crime scene, anybody that's our age knows what I'm talking about, but these have the true detectives. I mean, I think we still have true detective now, but back in the day, they were pretty salacious. You know, these true crime magazines, you know, from the 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, this uncle had stacks of them, you know, around the house. And here I am, three and a half years old, and I'm, you know, I'm going through all these, and it's showing scantily clad women being killed or raped or, you know. Uh, and so, and in that was something called the Mose Letters. And if any of you are familiar with a longtime cult called the Children of God um, and David Berg, David Berg used to have a newsletter that he called the Mose Letters were, they, they encouraged pedophilia. They encouraged, or encouraged parents to have sex with their children and, and to share their children with other adults. And um, some of these Mose Letters, uh, I'm not exactly sure how this uncle had them. Uh, I mean, because the, the cult itself wasn't in Colorado. I don't know if he had subscribed or he had gotten them from someone else. But there was in with all these crime scene magazines, that's where these random those letters that showed children having sex with adults in, like, cartoon version and stuff. And so um, even though I couldn't read the pictures, you know, the pictures, the pictures. Now, I am a crime, uh, you know, I like true crime stuff as an adult. And and it and I wanted to be uh, Quincy if anybody's old enough to know who Quincy was. But and I'm sure that that kind of came from, you know, uh, having been exposed to that stuff. But those were also part of the traumas. And when you see that, and somebody's holding up guardianship papers over your head, and and you see in all these men hurting women, you know, that's an intimidation factor and a co- a coerced, coercion factor that is subliminal. You know what I mean? And so. When you're in a home and you have these things going on and then you have all this visual imagery of, of what men are going to do to you, I mean, you, you keep your mouth shut. It took me until I was uh, in sixth grade at the same school that Kim and I first went together uh, to in kindergarten. I mean, Kim and I used to walk a long way to go to school as little, you know, five-year-old girls in short little dresses that they used to dress us in. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous when you look at it on a map. Uh, now it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, but. Um, you know, when I was at that same school in sixth grade, I had a um, a teacher who had the same last name as this uncle that had the guardianship over me, which was kind of ironic. They weren't related. But um, I had fallen down at the roller rink over the weekend. Uh, Kim and I and stuff, we used to go roller skating and stuff. And I had really bad bruises on my knees that were genuinely from this bad fall I took roller skating. And 
we were supposed to put on short gym class, even though it was sixth grade. And I didn't, because it was like one of those physical fitness weeks where you had to climb ropes and all the different things and the chin-ups and stuff. And so I got in an argument with my teacher because I didn't want to change out. He kept me after school. I felt kind of bullied and pressured, and I finally told him that I was being abused. They sent cops and CPS to my house. I was home that day, and, uh, you know, the cops and CPS separate my stepmother, separate my mother from me and my brother and my stepfather. They separate, they put us all four in four different rooms, question everybody. Then they walk with my mom and my stepdad half a block down the street, because now we're in the same neighborhood, just half a block away. And they go to the uncle and aunt's house. They go in. They're not in there very long. They come out. They're all standing in the front yard. Me and my little brother are standing in our front yard watching this. And here's the cops and CPS that are supposed to be helping us over there, and they're just all laughing and yucking it up together. Well, I ended up being like the black sheep of the, fam- black sheep of the family after that. And um, I, uh, you know, I was kind of ostracized by that un- uh, aunt and uncle for a bit, yay, you know, because of, you know, that was good. That made things stop. When I was 16 years old, my mom sent me right back to their house. Uh, they had moved finally out of this town to the country, and I, they, she sent me back to their house to spend the summer, and I just finally confronted him and, and his wife and, and my cousins uh, that Kim had to deal with that were there. And, of course, I became the black sheep all over again. Um, you know, the thing is, is that this uncle died on on April Fool's Day, and I really thought I was somebody was hoaxing me when they told me. Um, and I did. I flew from the state of California back for his funeral. I needed to have that closure, and it was good. But, you know, not long before he died, he I was talking to my aunt, and he's yelling in the background because he had become a deacon of the Mormon church that he wanted me to bring my kids so he could baptize them. And I said, you will never meet my children. But the short, long story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. No, I remember you, you know, what, just what, now as you're sorry, telling it. I remember. Uncle. Oh, go ahead. Uh, this is really go important, ahead. and I, I always forget to say this. Yeah, One thing ahead. about this uncle, there was no real difference between his desire for me when I was prepubescent and past puberty. He, he wasn't a, strictly a pedophile in the sense of a very small child. It was even after I developed. So um, that is something that doesn't happen all the time. Um, so you can't yeah, just assume they only want a certain age. Yeah. Right. No, I remember you talking about him holding your, um, you being under his care against you and saying, you know, you, I own you. And I remember you saying that. And gosh, that's, yeah. My mom kind of disappeared. That's got to be so hard. That's got to be hard as a little kid. Yeah, it was because there was no, um, you know, my mom, when she first left my dad and and she actually, we did, before we went to Colorado, she took us to Kansas, but it wasn't, and I don't know why, and we weren't there long because she called this uncle and this uncle drove from Colorado to Kansas to get me, but he would only take me if she gave over guardianship. Now, he didn't take my younger brother. She took my younger brother back to my dad in California, and then my mom was kind of gone somewhere. I don't know where for almost a year and I was solely with this aunt and uncle when we when she came back you know after a year of me going through this I was happy because I was going to be living with my mom again ironically she moved into the house next door (laughs) so the access was still there the access was always there 
Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and again, it wasn't the only uncle, um, you know, some, some of their approaches were different. It was all trauma. It was all harm. And, um, you know, like I said, they're, they're all gone, but there's, you know, millions more out there. I'm losing my And mind. the fact that they passed it on, I mean, they passed this trauma on, like you're talking about, it's, it's been a generational yeah. thing and it, it's most likely, unless it has been stopped, you know, by everybody, most likely the family is still going through this. There's still pedophilia going on in that family. Probably. And I think Probably. one of my, yeah, one of my eye-opening moments was when you started telling me about how deep it went, and I went, oh, my gosh. Yet I could have been, oh, it could have been a lot worse for me, too, at that time that I was with, you know, with you guys. Because I yes. think that my, I think that my mom had a pretty level head, but then she would, I probably do drugs, you know, because he, my dad was on drugs right. all the time, and then right. it would just, you know, kind of skew her her thinking and her vision. I guess I don't know. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but um, but I think that there was. I remember even as a young child, knowing that there's something odd over there. And I can't remember if I am just thinking of when we conversations or if I can actually visualize, you know, things that were going on at, you know, like orgies. Yeah. <laughs> because I remember knowing well, about that at, at that age, Sherry. And that's so weird. You don't know that at five years old. You don't know yeah. what orgies are. Well, one time, one time specifically, <laughs> I remember, and this, this may have been the same night, uh, but after what had happened to you with the cousins, um, it might have been that same night that you spent the night, but it, it was definitely after because um, because you were there, and we were on the bunk beds in the basement, and you were sleeping on the bottom bunk bed, and I was, I was on the top bunk bed. I woke up in the night to my cousins with a little line of their friends, these other, you know, young, you know, young, younger teen type boys um, uh, coming in. I don't know if they were paying or what, and he's lifting up my nightgown for these boys to look underneath it. You know, I mean, there was just a lot of random stuff. At the time that you and I were kids and we were growing up together, that was the time that, I mean, like the listeners need to understand, that was, that. you know, we're talking the, in the 70s, the early 70s um, of this particular time that we're talking about. And so there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of you know, my mother's brother's families, they were swingers. Uh, there was a lot of drugs. Um, they, you know, uh, they were music makers, musicians, had bands and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I mean, there was just a lot of stuff going on in, in, in both the households. So it was like at Kim's house, I felt safer. I felt safer when I would go and spend the night at Kim's house than obviously being at my aunt and uncle's or even sometimes at my mom's. And my mother wasn't sexually abusing me, but there was other kinds of abuses and he still had access. You know, as my mom got older before she had died, my mom told me her brothers had done these same things to her. And I'm like, Mom, then why would have you have ever allowed me around them? Why do you have their pictures hanging on your wall in the hallway? Let it go. And, you know, before my mom died, she really panicked about dying because the thing about forgiveness is, you know, they say that anybody, and not to go down a religious road, and I know we're almost out of time, but I think this is important. My mom was afraid to go to heaven because she said if they asked for forgiveness, then they would be there too. And she never wanted to see him again. And she couldn't let herself, her body 
relaxed enough to, to let go, to, to, to pass on. And it was really a struggle that those last couple of weeks for her. We had the pastor come out to the house and, and talk to her and, you know, and all of that. I mean, it was really, really a bad situation for her and really sad. And this all stems from that same abuse, the generation before me, same people. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the same people, as we know. It could just be different people in the oh, family, yeah. but it's that family mindset of this is just going to happen, kind of like, you know, when I say that my mom said that. Basically, she said, oh, yeah, yeah it happens. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah. Would you mind? When I my yeah. aunt told me that she had been abused as a child, too, and that I should do like she does and just use it for, like, basically, uh, in other words, like fantasy material. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why are you even saying this to me? I couldn't believe it. At that point, I at that point is when I felt, okay, you know what? She knew all this time because I didn't think she knew. But at that point of her saying that to me and just being kind of accepting that here I just, you know, accused her husband of all this stuff for all these years and she says I, you know, I, it was just, it was, it was really crazy. No, I, I loved her dearly, you know, and I, and, and stuff like that. But it was, that was, that was kind of a, a real tipping point for me. Oh, yeah. Well, and the the fact is, is that we were groomed, like you said. You were groomed from the time you were born, basically, um, for their, I mean, as their toy. It, it was a, it was in their mind, you weren't, it doesn't seem like you were human in their mind. You were there yeah. to please them, to do what they wanted to do. And, um, you know, that's the mindset that they had. And And then we are groomed, you know, to believe that we are to be submissive to the men or we're supposed yeah. to be, you know, make especially sure that they that, are okay, even if we're not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially in those times, in that era, in those years, those yeah. decades, those particular decades. I mean, abuse still is prolific everywhere. It's just some, some things have changed. Certain things that are happening in the world around us, um, you know, the, the historical things that happen in the world around us and the economy and stuff like that in all these different decades, that, that all does play a part, too, in the types of abuse and how the abuse has happened, where they've happened, and that sort of stuff. And that's something that people don't think about a lot. But if you sit down and you're having a hard time, like, remembering something, just look at one of those things that tells you, like, the major things that happened in each year. Or, like I do, I, I, I can tell you what your, something happened according to what was the popular song that year or that month on the radio. Sometimes that is my only means of figuring out where I lived and where I went to school sometimes because we miss so much is by a song or something. But the historical significance of the era in which you and I were young little girls, um, you know, is important. My family, you know, that my abusers had a band that, that they were well-known locally. They cut records. They, they played. But they would play the Holiday Inn on Sundays. And, went, and they would dress me up in the short little skirts of the time with white go-go boots and put me on stage. You know, I mean, in, in today's world, if I saw anyone like that, I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, that's not okay. But we didn't know that then, you know, but they were and, – and quick thing about my, my sister Vicky, one of the main things I found out that's in, that is in that article is when she was 12 and 13 years old, Jim and Sandy were taking her to the local bars in Cass Corridor, putting stolen goods on her for clothing, skimpy clothing, putting makeup on her, and literally having her dance on the bar tops and the patrons – all these leering dudes would throw money at her. And that's how they were making a living. That's trafficking. You know, so everybody's abuse is somewhat also 
you know, uh, the times. It, it, it's, it's an interesting way to, to look back at memories and help you figure out some of your memories and timelines. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Would you mind if I bring Penelope on since we're down to 15 minutes? Oh, go ahead. Can I just encourage, can I just encourage everybody to, um, to check out my website, just a small little website, SherryWilson.com. If you're interested in the book, it's free to subscribe, but you'll get notifications of updates on the book and, you know, little teasers and excerpts and stuff like that all along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And we have, um, we have a link to your, is this your website, The Truth About Sissy? That's what we have a link to on here. The Truth and About then, Sissy. Um, so on the yeah, yeah. So, on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so go on to the website too. Yeah. Okay. We, I can put that up too. We can put that up on. Oh, on, sure. Some people website. don't like to use Facebook, so. Yeah, that's true. There are some people that and don't. And I'm not going to. Um, do you mind if I drink? You're not going <laughs> to. You're not. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to send up notice and update on the book and that type thing. So. Um, no, it'd be fun, and I know you're doing that five-minute podcast too. So I want, yeah. So that would be great. I want you to make sure, and and in the last couple of minutes, I want you to make sure and go back over that and and get it sure. all in there. But I did want to see if maybe Penelope had one last question since we're getting down to the last few minutes, and um, I haven't been able to bring her back on. So she's been waiting patiently. <laughs> you I'm mind so if I bring her up? on? No, yeah, no, not at all. Thank you, no, no. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, thank you. Thank you. I was going to say, and listening, Kim, and, um, you know, thank you, sir. I don't have any questions. I mean, I just suddenly have really listened to your story. And and um, the only comment I have is that, I, I mean, you know, of, of, the, um, of the family that you reached out to that have actually, you know, embraced um, your uh, story and embraced your work um, and have stood behind you, I'm, I'm you know, I think that's awesome um, that you are also providing some healing and some closure for them. So, um, Kim and I have talked about this. Not all families um, are happy to disclose the truth um, or have the truth disclosed. And so I'm glad that you have um, had some warm reception to that. Um, that's huge. And, um, you know, and it, like I said, it, it's healing. And uh, that's gonna, that is going to be a seed that um, germinates and it's going to help a lot of other members of your family. So that was just one comment I wanted to make, and I you know, commend you for it. Thank you. I, um, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know the siblings and um, learning about their lives, not just, not just my sisters. And, you know, I think with the Detroit News having picked up the story and interviewed a couple of those siblings, there's definitely some siblings that want nothing to do with this. They don't want to talk about anything, um, you know, or be approached or anything, and, and that's fine. That's their journey. And, uh, but these siblings that, that have come forward and everything, they they are happy that they did, and that's that's the best thing about this. I mean, if something were to happen to me today or tomorrow, and I wasn't able to finish the book, if I died or something, I I would know that that I did something good for that family. And you know, yesterday or this yeah, yesterday when the when the first story came out and I shared the link with them, um, you know, the sister Linda said, "Thank you so much, Sherry. We finally got justice for our sissy," you know, and um. It was just, 
you know, I think people in the locale that are, that since it was in the Detroit paper that also grew up in the Castle Corridor and had these things happen to them, I, you know, I think that more people are going to probably come forward just because of that article. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. You know, especially wow. at their age, you know, and so hopefully there's other people that, that find some healing through this or because of this seed. You know, so it's all about planting seeds and, you know, like I like I keep talking about those eggs and how we all digest and process differently. I think in everything that we do in advocacy, um, we need to always keep that in mind. We can't force somebody to process their trauma the way that I do or you do or Kim does. It's, it has to be their their. We can help, we can help navigate, we can suggest, we can give resources, but it really is up to each person. So when we're talking, whatever the advocacy is, when you're trying to get people to open up, to listen, or to care about a cause, especially this cause that nobody really wants to talk about or hear about, um, you got to figure out who that person you're trying to talk to is and what is the best way to really reach them. Yeah, I can help you with that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Well, we're so glad that you were on with us tonight. And um, I'm excited to see kind of, you know, where your relationship goes with those siblings as well and how, you know, your it grows. Because it's going to grow, I'm sure, just yeah. with you continuing to talk to them and get more information and um, learn more things. And so... Um, Thank you for sharing that. And we would definitely want you to be on, again, if you would like to come back, you know, after your book is released or right before it's released and um, and promote your book a little bit, too. That yeah, that would awesome. be great. That would be great. And like I said, if anybody wants to kind of follow along a little bit on the process of writing this book, um, you know, I'm going to do – I'm doing these five-minute pre-recorded podcasts once a week uh, just to teach people – some ways of researching things and places. One of the problems that a lot of people that have suffered abuse as children have is remembering where they were. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of these families move around a lot. And, um, and so that can, you know, just even being able to figure out where you were. And there's some tricks to that or finding people that can be your witness, you know, even if it's just to you. Um, But, you know, I, I, but other than the podcast, it's just really, going to be some teasers and excerpts from the book, some anecdotes here and there, just kind of giving an update on where I'm at. You know, I do have to seek an editor, and I am going to try for traditional publisher. If I can't get one to pick up the book, then I will I will self-publish. But I do think the book has potential to actually be a movie, um, and uh, hopefully not the lifetime variety. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I've not written a book, so I'm used to writing articles, so we'll see. Yeah, no, you're you're beautiful at writing, like you know. So we're we're excited Thank to read it. And get it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I know that you were talking about uh, a little bit about like people who don't want to to talk to you and and get to know you. And and I know without saying any names or anything, and I don't want to call out anybody. Cause, but I know that we have both tried to reach out to somebody here in in Colorado, and and they don't want to either. And yeah, I, I think and, from what we started to get before is that there's probably a lot of deeper things on that side too that just 
we don't know about and they don't want to talk about. There are, you know, there is a sibling, the the youngest, at least we think the youngest. So Sandy had a bunch of kids that didn't even know about each other. Um, Sandy would prostitute herself as well, um, the mom. And so there are children who don't even really know who their father is. Um, And so, uh, in fact, this one one particular sibling that doesn't want any part of talking and stuff, you know, the other siblings know that she's going to be very upset about the articles that have come out in Detroit Times. And so she may surface and, and, you know, I might get a lot of blowback from her, but I'm I'm legally covered. I'm not talking about her in the book and stories and, and her her experiences are her story to tell. And if she wants me to tell them, I'm happy to when if she wants to reach out. But it's not up to me to tell her story or to reveal her abuses. Um and uh so but you know, she is somebody that I knew. That was the only sibling that I knew Vicky had. And um so I knew her as a little girl. Um, she is older than me by about six years, and, um, you know, we'll see what comes of that. But there's other children that are siblings that are can't be located, you know, and then still others that they're not sure of because the mother uh, at a couple of different times had told some of the siblings that she had had 15 children. We've been able to uh, mostly locate seven or eight. Um, so I don't know if there's more than what I know about now, but, you know, um, you know, I think I think that's the really never important thing. It's not up to us to share someone else's story unless they want you to. Yeah. Well, thank you for for that, and we we will be waiting for you know, to read it, and I look forward to getting your updates on how it's going. There's no doubt in my mind it'll be you know a number one bestseller. I'm sure, at least on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because um, yeah, well, and, and maybe probably, other places. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to have to start a GoFundMe at some point because I have to hire an editor, and I didn't realize that initially, silly me. And when I looked into it, it's literally thousands of dollars. I don't have thousands of dollars, you know. So at some point, I'm probably going to do some kind of a crowdfunding um, for an editor. But, yeah, uh, you know, we're going to get there, and it's going to happen. I am committed to doing this, and you know, I mean, unless I drop dead or anything, but, you know, I just want to say to everybody that's gone through abuse or has witnessed or loved somebody that's gone through abuse, you know, hold yourself and hold them tight. It's not your fault. Um, you know, I'm sorry to my children for, for any kind of abuses that they suffered because of any bad parenting on my, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, for these siblings of, you know, having had held this so tightly all this time, and I'm just so grateful that they're able to let it out and start healing now. And I am grateful to you two ladies for having me on, and um, I would love to come back when the book's ready to come out. Yeah, thank you. Well, I love you too, and I, I'm just, I'm glad that we connected again. I'm glad that you found me. I know that you are good at the research, researching stuff and um, finding people, so there's no doubt in my mind that you found um, your sister's siblings and and are now building a relationship with them. So I'm so glad you're doing that. And I know that's bringing you some some joy as well. It's the way you talk about it. You're Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's just been, a, you know, a, a privilege to be on the panel tonight and to hear your, not only hear your story, but hear 
you know, your fortitude in writing your book, and I can't wait to read it. Thanks. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, I'm excited <laughs> to do this because, like I said, as sad as all this is, and it's terrible, I know, so if, you, if I sound excited and I'm saying I'm excited, it's because I'm finally laying my sister to rest properly. That's, well, and that's the reason. That's no, that's not a Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say that. It has to feel so good. It does. Thank it you, does. Penelope. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thanks for being on with us tonight. Love you thanks guys. for having me. Um, we love you. I love you, too, so much, and I'm glad that we're um, still connected after all these yes. times. So thank 100%. you for, and for reaching out. Can you hit me up on Facebook if they want? And yeah. Okay, go, ahead, go over real quick. Go over your Terry uh, uh, Wilson. Wilson on Facebook. The Truth About Sissy is the Facebook group, and my website is sherrywilson.com. And you can find the podcast uh, link there every week on Wednesdays in the morning. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Sissy. And thank you, everyone, for being with us tonight. We're so glad that you joined us. Um, you can look up this podcast it's, you know, pretty shortly after we're done with it. So go ahead and share it with everybody you know, Sherry. And um, as we say when we close out the show, um, there are enough eyes and ears out there, adult eyes and ears out there, to be watching out for all children, and we need to be the ones that are taking that responsibility. So if you see something, please say something. Good night, everybody. Good night. Another tomorrow, because that's gone away.